Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 28. We looked at 13 through 23 a couple weeks ago, but there's, there's kind of more that we need to look into here in this passage. Beginning of verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things for the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. We're on vacation. We went to a church with my parents, and there was a big banner up on the wall. It says that their mission is making more and better followers of Jesus Christ. And I thought I like like the way that they worded that. And then underneath that big banner, there was a bunch of little banners that said this. The first one says, making more and better followers of Jesus Christ. And then each statement had a we believe in a little box above it. It says, we believe. And what do they believe? It says, we believe that found people find people. I thought that's a very cool statement. You know, it's just like when Jesus called the apostles. What was the first thing they did? They went and got their brother. You know, <laughs> look, I found the Messiah, you know. And I thought that's a great statement. Found people do find people. When we come to Christ, it's uh, natural for it to be our first response for other people that we know to find Christ as well. And so we start trying to find ways to share him. Then he also said, save people, serve people. It says, we believe growing people change. Part of their focus is on helping people to understand the Word of God and growing in their relationship with God, recognizing that as people grow, people change. Another thing that they said we believe is we believe you can't outgive God, which everything in perspective for us, doesn't it? And then it says you can't do life alone. And that was one thing that I found that was prevailing atmosphere within the church. We were never meant to do life alone. Well, that's as we get into in, into Matthew chapter 16, that's where Jesus is going with this. He, and part of this we've looked at previously to today, so we're not going to review too much of it. But Jesus asked the disciples, who do people out there say that I am? And, and they were amazing answers. Amazing answers. John the Baptist, risen from the dead. One of the prophets, risen from the dead. Elijah, risen from the dead. All people, risen from the dead. Why? Because Jesus was doing supernatural things, so there has to be something supernatural about who he is. Because nobody else raises the dead or heals lepers or walks on water or feeds 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. But then he goes on to the disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And this is when Peter steps up and takes the lead and says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at that point, Jesus begins to reveal two things to them that they had not been revealed to them previously. 
The first was about the church. This is the first place in the Bible, in the New Testament, that mentions the church. The word church means an assembly. It was a group of people that would be called out into the town square to conduct the business of the community. And Jesus takes that secular word and now says, I'm going to start my own church. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the last time we looked at this passage, we recognized that. We saw the foundation of the church, the protection of the church, the the authority or the power of the church. We already acknowledge that the church is an assembly. And we see that very clearly throughout Scripture. One of the places where the use of the word stands out very clearly is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19. It says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Notice he says, when you come together as a church. Remember what the word church, the Greek word ekklesia, means. It means a called out assembly. So when you, when you come out together... When you gather together as an assembly, as a gathering, as a church, the, the meaning of the word is very clear in that verse. That it's when people are assembled that a church is taking place. Now, the Bible is not limited, this idea of the church though, to just when we're assembled. In other words, we're not a church right now but in 45 minutes when we leave from here, we're no longer a church anymore. We continue to be a church, the way the Bible uses the word. Because we are the people that regularly assemble here. And so, whether it's during the middle of the week or or Monday morning when nobody's here and everybody's off at different places of work or home or, or school or whatever in the community, we're still a church. We're still the church that meets that assembles in this place. We see that in in verses like Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. Talking about Stephen, when Stephen was put to death. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so it says that there was persecution that broke out against the church that was in Jerusalem. Now, obviously, it's not limited to just when they're assembled. He's trying to track down Christians wherever they are throughout the week. And so the church is not just describing when we're gathered, but it's describing those who regularly gather. When we look at Little Fork Baptist Church, when, when we reference our church, we're not just talking about the moment that we're gathered. We're talking about everybody that's involved in it, everybody that regularly comes to and assembles together for worship of God and edification of one another. But as we look at this, there's a couple different aspects of the church that we do find within Scripture. As we look at Christ building His church, the first aspect is that the church is local. The word is used, oh, about 115 times or so within the New Testament. And most of those times... It refers to a local assembly. You find uses of the word church very simple, like in Acts chapter 11, verse 22. It says, A report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So you notice the word church there is is talking about a specific church, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, uh, committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they're appointed leadership within every church. Acts chapter 15, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, 
They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Acts chapter 15, verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So in all of these things, he's mentioning specific local churches. It gets used a little bit broader when we get to Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Notice it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. And that's about as far as the church had grown at this point. But we see within that that the, the, the church, and then it lists different regions. Now, obviously, it's not talking about one specific church. It's talking about the church as a whole. And so it's leading us to the next level that we see the church being used within the Word of God, and that is the universal church. The church is used in a universal sense, or, a, or a, I, I like the word corporate sense. In a corporate sense, the word church is used. And let me explain it this way. McDonald's. Let's, let's use McDonald's. McDonald's is, a, is an interesting company. It actually started out as a barbecue, selling barbecue, uh, barbecue stand uh, back in 1940. And by the time 1948 rolled around, they focused on burgers, and then they tried to kind of put assembly line production into the burger world, and that's how McDonald's got started. Well, if you look at it today, McDonald's is now in uh, 120 countries. They have... Uh, was it 36,900 stores, I think, right now, or restaurants? They employ 1.4 million people. That's a lot of people. I can talk about McDonald's, and I might talk about the playland that's in McDonald's. That's important to people with grandchildren and, and children alike. If I start describing the playland that is in, within McDonald's, then you know that I'm using the word McDonald's as very specifically. I'm talking about a very local McDonald's that is up in International Falls because that's what we're close to. That's where we take our grandchildren sometimes. And so I'm talking about a very specific local McDonald's. But I can use McDonald's in another way, too. If I was to tell you all on our trip, we went out to eat uh, at different places along the way. We often stopped at McDonald's. When I use the word that way, you know that we stopped at McDonald's somewhere, but it wasn't this McDonald's. It's just another one somewhere along the location along the trip. But then if I use terms like McDonald's is in 120 countries, or when somebody says, I like McDonald's, or maybe I don't like McDonald's, they're not necessarily talking about one specific one, but the company as a whole. There's a corporate sense that you use the word. There's not just a specific local sense that you find McDonald's, but there's a corporate sense. There's a, there's a larger entity out there than just the one in International Falls. It's the same way with the church. The church sometimes talks about specific local churches. At other times, it talks about this universal church or, or the church in a corporate sense that, that it's, it's all of the churches encompassed. It's all believers in Jesus Christ that make up this universal church. Now, the important thing to recognize about this is that the local church is predominantly the way the New Testament is focused. In fact, most of our Bible is written to local churches or leadership of local churches. Uh, the churches is throughout the Bible. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what's a good verse for telling you you should go to church? And I said, all of them. All of them. And they said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. What do you, what do you mean all of them? So, well, you know, you've got to step back and look at the New Testament in a big picture. 
The church is the backbone of the New Testament. It's like the skeleton that all the meat hangs on and all the muscle hangs on. Because the New Testament was written to churches and it was written to church leadership. And it was written to churches to tell churches what to believe and how to behave as the church of the living God. And so really the entire New Testament reinforces this concept of Christ's church and begs for our involvement. I remember meeting a person one time. They'd, I was in a church out in Washington, and they'd stop by the church, and they're looking for help. And don't get me wrong, I'm, uh, we, we've often helped people that are not part of the church when they're in need. But this person stopped, and as we got talking to him, I asked him, what church do you belong to? And he says, I belong to Christ's church. And I said, where is that? He said, well, it's, a, it's the universal church. It's, ev- it's everywhere. Everybody that uh, believes in Jesus belongs to the church. But my point was, well, where do you go to church? Where do you assemble? Where do you, where do you belong? And the point that he was using the idea of the universal church to get out of going to the local church, and I tried to communicate to him the importance of the local church. The local church is God's plan for this age. It is what Jesus promised to build. He built his church, both local and universal. In fact, the universal church does not get built without the local church. And we think about it, go back to your McDonald's illustration. If you go back to that McDonald's illustration and you say, you know what, I, I believe in corporate McDonald's. I don't believe in local McDonald's. I don't see the importance of local McDonald's. I believe in corporate McDonald's. Do you know you will starve to death trying to participate in McDonald's on the corporate level? The only way to experience the corporate McDonald's is through the local individual McDonald's. It's the same way with church. The only way to experience the universal church is within the local church. It's within the local church that God has sovereignly gifted His people and arranged them the way that He wants them to carry out their bodily functions within the church. Christ's body is the church. And God says, like in First Corinthians, says that He arranges them according to His will. So some people are the eye, some people are the ear, some people are the hand, some people are the foot, some people are the leg. But do you realize that not one of those body parts can function on its own. Not one of those body parts can fulfill its purpose without being connected to the rest of it. So you see, there is a sense that we are, everybody all together, are this body of Christ. But the only way that it functions is within the local body of Christ. We have to be one with each other. We have to work together each of us using our gifts and abilities and, and desires to, to further the kingdom of Christ. This is how Christ builds His church. It's not some big, ooh, mystical thing. It's, it's right here with the people that you're sitting next to and, and the people that you're around. And so it all happened through this idea of the local church. Now, what I'd like to do is i got some verses here that I want to go through with you that show that the church has a corporate sense to it or a universal sense to the word. But at the same time, I want you to think through these verses and recognize with me that the things that it's talking about, the activities that it's talking about within these verses, though they are addressing the church as a whole, are only experienced through the church locally. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church. So it's talking about the, the position of Christ and that Christ is the head for the church. Now, we'd all agree, I think, that as we look at that use of the word church, that it's talking about church in the large sense, in the, in the universal sense. Is it not? Doesn't that also necessitate that Christ is the head of this church? 
Absolutely. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might show to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So as he says it's through the, through the, the church, talking about the entire thing, the universal church, that, that the wisdom of God might be made known. But how is that seen? Isn't it seen through the local churches? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we would definitely recognize that it's to His glory that our church stands. Colossians 1.18, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. I love that one. As we look at that, as we look at that verse, it's obvious that, that the Apostle Paul is not just pointing out a specific church, although he is writing to Timothy, who is leading a specific church in Ephesus at that time. But he makes a statement about not just the church Timothy's at, but all the churches. So he's using that as a universal, a universal statement. But as he does it, the only way that that can function is at the local level. What does he, notice again what he says, if I delay, he says, I'm writing these things to you, the whole book of 1 Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So he was writing to them and telling them, as you gather together, these are the things that you need to teach and to believe and, and, and these are the things you need to stand for and this is how you need to behave. Where does that happen? It happens within the local church. So the word church in the New Testament is used two different ways. It's used of a, a local assembly. It takes place as we come together and we're a mutual encouragement one of another. We dig into God's Word and we learn from it. We use our gifts within our community to reach out to the community. All that takes place right here. And as all that takes place right here, the local church is being built. And so is the universal church. In fact, there's no other way for the universal church to grow but through the local church. So this universal church of Christ is never an excuse to avoid a local church. Actually, it's all the reason to be involved in a local church. As we look on, we also see that the church is accomplished through the gospel. The gospel is the second thing that Jesus begins to teach the disciples that he had not taught them previously. Well, he said, now I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, to the, the scribes. I'm going to suffer many things, be put to death. Then three days later, I'm going to rise again from the dead. So the church is accomplished through the gospel. It's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We said it also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. It says that He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, the point that He's making is that He is the head of the church because He's accomplishing it through His cross. Through that cross, He made peace through the blood of His cross. That's what establishes the church. And that's what in Matthew, when we look at it here, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to build My church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. But to do that, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to be handed over to the leaders. And I'm going to be put to death. And three days later, I will rise. 
Now, to the apostles, this is going to sound foreign. To us, it would sound foreign. You would think when somebody says, I'm going to build my church, I'm going to build my organization, and nothing is going to be able to diminish it or to bring it down, that sounds like a we're stepping up, we're taking charge, we're in control kind of a statement, doesn't it? And that's exactly, I think, how the disciples were thinking about that at that moment. And that's why Jesus quickly corrects them. And He says, I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell and they'll not prevail against it, but to do that, i got to go to Jerusalem and i got to be crucified and I'm going to rise again from the dead. And that takes Peter off guard. I think it would take you or I off guard also if we had been there. God's ways are not our ways. In fact, Romans chapter 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. This is not the way we would think. And it's not the way Peter thought. Peter, I think, is on kind of cloud nine right now. He's feeling energetic. He's feeling good. The reason? Jesus said, I just asked him, who am I? Peter was convinced. He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, you got it exactly right. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter's got to be feeling like he's in a good spot right here. He was the spokesperson. He's the one that stood up. Jesus is patting him on the back. That's exactly right. If, uh, you wouldn't be able to know that unless the Father had told you that, had shown you that. So he's in, he's in with God. He's doing good. And this whole thing about the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In a couple minutes, Jesus is going to be calling him Satan. As Peter's feeling, here, here it is, finally. The kingdom, the kingdom's coming. The kingdom's here. I'm in a good spot in the kingdom. I was the first one to acknowledge it. And Jesus says, all right, we're going to the cross. And Peter says, no way. In fact, look at the language there. It says he takes Jesus. It's like he grabs him by the arm and takes him aside <laughs> apart from everybody else. Can you imagine doing that? Peter grabs Jesus by the arm and drags him up. Wait a minute. Come here. <laughs> you know, I remember being drugged by my ear to be told something before. That's kind of what Peter's doing to Jesus. And he and it says and he to rebuke him. He rebukes him. So he's correcting Jesus. Jesus, everything you said up till now was good. You're going to build your kingdom. Gates of hell not prevail against it. We're with you on that. That's good. This cross thing, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and Jesus says to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan." Why would he do that to him? Well, he was. He was being like Satan. Remember Matthew chapter 4 when, when Jesus is taken out by the Holy Spirit, taken out, driven out in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan? And what does Satan offer Jesus? He gives, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all of this, all of these kingdoms, if you'll bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus doesn't do it. But what is Satan offering him? See, Jesus is going to have all the kingdoms of the world, but he has to go through the cross. What is Satan doing? Satan's offering Jesus a shortcut. There's a lot of shortcuts in life. doesn't mean they're good. Satan's offering Jesus a shortcut. I'll give you the crown without the cross. I'll give you leadership over all of these kingdoms right now. As the God of this world, I will give you all that without the cross. We'll take the cross out of the picture. You can have it now. That's what Peter wants. Peter says, no, Lord, no cross to our kingdom. Let's, let's do the kingdom. Let's set up the kingdom. No cross, no suffering. But that's not what God wants. And that's why Jesus tells him, you're thinking of the things of man. You're thinking of what your own comfort. That's not the things of God. 
The things of God are often involve suffering. The things of God are a tougher path, but a better path. In the things of God, Jesus would be driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of facing the temptation of Satan. You know, for the purpose of God in your life, you will go through sufferings and trials and struggles that God will use in your life to build you and strengthen you. Satan is always there offering a shortcut. You ought to be careful about those. But that's what Peter wanted. You know, the disciples from this point on, we see something that's kind of interesting. Jesus will start to tell them about the gospel again. And they will want to talk about the kingdom. And Jesus will tell them about the gospel. And they'll want to talk about the kingdom. And if you kind of survey the gospels a little bit, you'll see that all the messages of the cross seem to keep going over their heads. They're not sure what to make of that, but they keep focusing on the kingdom. Who's going to sit on your left and who's going to sit on your right? Are you going to set it up now? They keep being focused on that. Why? Well, same as the rest of us. Because they're focused on themselves. They're focused on what's our position in the kingdom going to be? What, how good are we going to have it? As we look into this, the last thing that we see as we go into the next part of the passage, which remember, this is all in the same context, is we see that the church is accomplished through selfless disciples. Because Peter takes Jesus off to the side to correct him, and Jesus corrects Peter. But then Jesus goes on from there. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he goes on from there. But do you see the point Jesus is making? When Peter says, yes, let's build your church. Let's get this kingdom going. Peter is looking at being in a high spot in the kingdom. He's looking at being in charge, being in authority, being in a good position within the kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not what it's about. It's going to be about sacrifice. There's going to be some suffering. It's going to be about servanthood. It's not about you being in charge. It's about you being a servant. And not everybody's going to appreciate your service. That's what he's pointing out. This passage about discipleship is, is happening within the context of Jesus explaining to them his church and how he's going to build his church. Far too many times we get the same mindset creeping into our, our, our going to church and our involvement in church as well. How many times is our participation in church based on, well, am I going to be blessed by it? What's it going to do for me? What am I going to learn? How, what, am I, what am I going to experience? What am I going to feel? What am I going to take in? Don't get me wrong. I hope that you're blessed in any way imaginable as you come to church. But you know, really our focus should be, how can I be a blessing? Who am I going to impact today? Who am I going to reach out to? I'm found. Who am I going to find? I'm saved. Who am I going to serve? It's not a consumer mindset. In fact, when you get to Hebrews chapter 10, which, back to what we were talking about earlier, what's a good verse for supposing to go to church? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as some people are in the habit of doing. You know why that verse is there? That verse is there because of a verse before it. Actually, three verses before it. Let us stand firm. Let us encourage one another. Our main reason for going to church should not be what we're going to get out of it, but what we're going to put into it. Who who am I going to be an encouragement to to today? Who am I going to help today? And you know what? As you go to church with that kind of mindset, you'll you'll be encouraged yourself. You'll be blessed. You can't help it. But that's really supposed to be our mindset. G, uh, Peter's first impression of this church is, yes, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be in charge. Jesus says, it's not going to be about that. It's going to be about picking up your cross and following me. So many times our decisions on church are completely selfish. 
if something more fun comes along or more entertaining. You know, if we don't have something better to do, then maybe we'll, then we'll be there. Now, preaching a message like this is usually foolishness because you're here. <laughs> but the point is that sometimes our participation in everything can get right back to self. But it's so much bigger than self. Church is so much bigger than me. It's so much bigger than you. But you know what? you got to be a part of it. Every once in a while, somebody says, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that's true. you just got to pick up your cross daily. you got to be willing to lose your life so that you can gain it. If you look at other calls to discipleship, you gotta, you got to love Christ more than you love your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, anybody else in this world. I think if you get to that point, you're already in church. That's a pretty small step when you look at all that stuff. But that's what we see is that the church, the church is built through selfless disciples, disciples that are willing to pick up the cross to follow the same kind of suffering that Christ did. That's who it's built by.